0: Welcome to Screw the Hierarchy, episode 23. This is Deb Falzoy, and today I'm talking about othering people in this culture of abusive power with Dr. Tonisha Pinkney. Dr. Tony shares her experiences at work as a Black woman and her views on how race, gender, and the other ways of othering people play out in a hierarchical system. You ready to hear what she has to say? More after this. If you're a target of workplace abuse and want to break free of the grips of abusive power, you found your place. I'm your host, Deb Falzoy, and the podcast begins now. And I'm here today with Tony Pinkney, who is on the National Workplace Bullying Coalition with me. And I wanted to um, talk to you, Tony, about you know, your experiences and um, just the overall culture of of um, othering people, you know, both in the workplace and just generally in society. So I wanted to start off with, you know, if you could just let, let us know what your background is, what your experience is with.
1: Sure. First, thank you so much, Deb, for having me um, and um, allowing me to join. Um, I am Dr. Tanisha Pinckney, and I, my, I prefer Dr. Tony, and uh, my background is, is very split. I have a business background. My master's is in, I mean, excuse me, my bachelor's is in accounting. Um, I'm a certified fraud examiner. I am a mediator. I work with nonprofit and, and other small businesses, so I do a lot on the business side. Um, But then I also am considered a criminal justice expert and that my master's is in criminal justice and my bachelor, I'm sorry, mixing up my degrees. My uh, PhD is in criminal justice and criminology with a focus in policing and community and also domestic violence and sexual assault. So for that reason, um, I'm an advocate and activist on issues of mental illness. Uh, sexual and domestic violence, um, workplace bullying and racial issues, as well as some intersectional things that um, overlap with that
0: great thanks um so what's been like generally your experience with with othering at work, either your experience with racism and sexism or just you know what have you seen and what have you personally experienced in general
1: um, as a woman, in general, and then as a black woman, um, it's it's. I found sometimes in a workplace you're kind of walking on edge, never knowing what's going to happen because you kind of have a double thread against you, you know. And it's, sometimes it's even hard to decipher what is the reason why I'm being treated differently. Situation is it. Um, Is it my gender? Is it my race? Is it a combination of my gender and my race? Is it socioeconomic status? Is it geographical location, either where I'm from or where I live? There are so many issues and they're all tied in to gender and race, but sometimes it's hard to extrapolate which is which what's going on. Some of my experience have been um, being told that my degree wasn't a real degree, when I went to the University of Massachusetts at Lowell, research level one institution, on ground institution, very rigorous institution, but still um, being told that, oh, your degree is not good enough. uh, Being told to shut up in meetings. I had a white male put his hand up in my face and tell me to shut up at a meeting before. Um, being in the hallway and talking to a colleague who doesn't agree with me. And then when a white coworker walks up, I get, oh no, why are you yelling at me? I can't believe you're yelling at me. And because the understanding is that they, I'm also tall because you can't really tell I'm 5'11". And when this, you know, you have somebody who is a a um, shorter, older, white female, and I'm a tall, younger, I'm 43, but younger than the people I'm talking about, a white, fe- a black female standing there in the hallway where it was a discussion, heated but not loud, discussion for people to melt down because they know that the angry black woman narrative exists. So I can just bring that in. So Originally, our conversation was more about um, just a, a general academic disagreement. Um, and then it expanded because that made it racial. Um, being told that, um, I've also had instances, I did a, another um, uh, web uh, podcast about a year or so ago when we were really talking about the Me Too movement. And I've had instances where I had a boss of mine actually massage my shoulders at work. I had a boss, you know, tell me that we're having a group meeting at his house and I get to his house and I'm the only one invited. You know, these are different things that exist in the workplace where as a woman and as a woman of color even though those are more of the minor things that have happened, um as a woman and as a woman of color, you stand there and You don't feel safe. You don't feel safe to advocate for yourself. You don't feel safe to um, ask for um, information from your counterparts because you are belittled, because you're constantly reminded that you are a minority. And not a minority in the sense of the number that counts, but a minority in the sense that you are less than everyone else. We can talk about you. We can exclude you. We can belittle you. We can tell you that um, you are not good enough. We can tell you you're not smart enough. And it just extends over and over. You have a you gave me a really good list of, of all the things that you go through. And it was so, ref- at that moment when I read the list you gave me, it was so refreshing. A reflective moment for me because I said, wow, I have experienced every single thing on this list. Like, I have experienced workplace bullying and I didn't even know that it was workplace bullying. One thing people have to realize, one thing that women and people of color go through is that some of these things are such the norm in our day that we don't even give it a name. It's just, yeah, that's what happens. That's what they'd be expected. And you know, um, I know this is a long answer, but it really, it really touches so much about my life because it's led me into having anxiety attacks before going to various jobs or before going to some meetings where I know I'm going to be either the only woman or only person of color there. Um, more recently, I had a student um, who. I teach people of color crime and justice at Salem State University and very supportive um, chair there, very supportive dean there. And a student actually called me racist and went through my background and found a either a video or a writing, it's in both of where I walked past at, at about 12, 13 years old, I walked past the neighbor's yard, um, which was also public property. And one day I walked by and there was a noose hanging from the tree with a black bag and the noose and him standing outside telling me, I told you not to walk past my property anymore. And the student found that story and basically told me that, um, yeah, I deserve that. You know, that is where even in various, it, it it looks differently depending on what field you're in, but in higher education, we're getting it from colleagues and students where students feel empowered to actually bully their professors of color because they feel as though, you know, there's nothing that will be done about it. And thankfully Salem State is looking at it and I really do appreciate so far, um, their approach to the situation so this is not about the organization but this is about saying that we have when we talk about bullying it's not just from the people we work with but it's also from our customers our our um our our students our you know colleagues and partners with other organizations it really expands much further
0: I love that you've said that because as you were talking I was thinking of like this it was reminding me of like um I like to kind of think of it as like this culture of gaslighting so when you said you know you're stereotyped initially and, and then there's like reinforcement behind that so like there's the initial stereotyping and then there's everybody else who accepts that stereotyping to further discredit you Um, it kind of reminds me of this whole, I tend to think of, um, stereotyping as a form of crazy making or gaslighting because it's so often used to just discredit.
1: Right. It's, it's used to silence your voice. It's used to make you forget who you are, not as a person of color, but as a human, Mm-hmm. You know, one p- thing people don't realize, whether you're talking about bullying as a child on social media, and I do a lot of bullying talks, but as a child or on social media in the workplace, that it's to devalue you as a human being. It's not just your race. It's not just your gender and, oh, I, I want you to feel bad, but I want you to feel subhuman. I want you to feel less than whoever I am. I feel as though I am, and I want to quiet your voice because if I get, if I feel supported. I mean, I know this is not what we're talking about, but we even look at situations um, that are going right on right now racially, and the videos that are going out where people who are the uh, like the um, um, the situation. I I can't believe Mr. Aubrey in Georgia who was murdered, that situation the perpetrator filmed it and gave the film to the police. What kind of assuredness he must have had that nothing would happen to him. And that's what we experience in the workplace. Workplace bullying, bullies are empowered. They feel that systemically they will be protected because they don't do other things, because they know that if they do those things, it could lead to being fired. But the way we're set up as far as even what diversity and inclusion and equity means in the workplace and what HR does, is meant to keep things calm so that the organization can be sustainable. It's not really meant to protect the workers. so we have a situation where if we go to and try to shout about what we've done wrong it only in their eyes validates what was said about us oh that person is loud regardless of race that person is mad loud that person has a mental illness that person is not from where we're from that person didn't graduate from where we graduated from that person hasn't been with the company as long it's really going on the otherism and you're not who I am, so I get to treat you less than. And that's what the epitome of workplace bullying is to me. I'm not saying everybody has that same experience, but that's what I've seen and that's what I've experienced.
0: So if you take this like othering of people, and then you also take this like concept of abuse of power, um, what do you say to the people who say this is only about abusive power and not othering? Like,
1: well, they're intertwined. Um, I call to those the same people the discussion about sexual violence. And yes, sexual violence is a sexual offense, and it's usually a gender or or based offense, but it's about power and control also. They're not mutually exclusive. So in this in this conversation, I say the same thing. Otherism is about a protection of one's own power and control. It is not just the individual who wants power and control. It is a systemic and group effort. Otherism, is, if we were just talking about one person committing a single act, as we would in a sexual assault case, a person committing a single act, then we can have a broader conversation about power and control. But this is systemic, this is group. And when I'm saying systemic, I'm talking about the fabric of America, the fabric of our globe, actually, because it's not just in America that these things exist. So that othering is about the preservation of power and control by a group of people. That is where the problem is. It's not just, oh, I want to feel powerful, so I'm going to make you less. It's a systemic, I want to destroy you. I want to take your life and livelihood away from you or show you that I have control over your life and livelihood. It's really, I told one, uh, one colleague one time, I said, I have not felt this way at work since I was in a domestic violence situation. I had not felt that level of fear, anxiety, and but it was exacerbated because racial elements and gender elements were included in that. So for people of color specifically and for women specifically, it's really hard to separate the power and control element from the gender-based and racial-based element. If we just don't have that privilege, and I'm going to use that word, the privilege to do that. I wish we did where we can dissect it. But you know what? It also comes to the thing of does it matter? What matters is it hurt. What matters is we feel this way and we're being treated this way. We can name it whatever we want and as academics you are an academic i'm an academic we look for naming stuff and labeling stuff but when you're living it day to day it doesn't matter what the reason is or what the name of it is the point is we're human beings and we should not be true
0: um thank you for that um so you talked about like the systemic aspect of it um what do you and and we were talking earlier about COVID specifically, um, but what do you feel like needs to happen for us to address, or, or first I should say, what what are some signs, um, like the, what's happening with COVID that there is a systemic problem, and then what are your, what do you think needs oh. to happen to fix it?
1: So systemically, some things that are, are happening with COVID. Um, I am a member of the National Alliance of Mental Illness of Massachusetts Executive Committee. I am the chair of the um, Inclusion, Diversity, Equity Awareness Committee. I am also now the chair of the COVID-19 Task Force that we've developed to address COVID-19 race and um, other um, effects of it. And for the African-American community, especially the Black community, I yes, it extends to Black and Brown and other, but I can speak to my community. The impact is mental health, lack of access to treatment, healthcare, lack of access to treatment. Also, what I've experienced, what my children have experienced, when you go in to get treatment at some places, being pushed aside or considered that you can wait because somebody else's situation is more important or being sent home because, oh, you might not be really having these issues. It might be your mental illness. Um, COVID-19, for instance, right now, we see an uptick in the number of COVID cases. It's being blamed on the protests, which I am, Secure in saying that the protests have likely, more likely than not, expanded the reach of COVID-19 and could lead to spreading. But one thing we also have to acknowledge that just before these protests started, there was a discussion about opening things up too early and too quickly. So that even racial element has shifted to blaming the expansion of covid on people of color, on black people, because we are protesting to fight for our lives and our livelihoods. So now it's our fault, you know? So the systemic discussion about COVID is not just, it's its gender-based, it's race-based, and then there's the combination thereof. We even see that new numbers came out um, today, the day of the recording, New numbers have come out discussing that um there, there was a slight increase in unemployment, but for overall the numbers went, the percentage went down. So the overall percentage is just over 13%, just over 12% for whites, over 15% for blacks, and over 12, 17% for Latinos and Hispanics. So even in the unemployment rate as to where white counterparts are getting more jobs, we're seeing that the black and Latino um, unemployment numbers rose at a time when the white unemployment numbers fell. And that is a fear that we have in the black community that, wait a minute, not only do we have to fear bullying before we get to the workplace, we have to fear bullying and racism and trying to get into the workplace. Because, Okay, do I've had people tell me that they were discriminated against because they don't have a family? Oh, we want to hire people that have a family and they have a family to take care of. So, you know, there's a lot of overlap there, and it's placing us in a position where some people are even scared to speak out because they understand that if they speak out, there's less likelihood that they'll get their job, get a job, keep a job, or be able to fight against the bullying that is at their job. Right now, when I say, um, and I just wrote a piece that I am gonna share with you regarding the phrase, I can't breathe. And for Black people, I can't breathe is not just about the lives that are taken due to racism, it's we can't breathe every day of our lives while we're trying to go to work, while we're trying to find a job, while we're at the doctor, while we're stopped in traffic. I mean, we have to deal with little things like having a car, asking another car if we can get in, and they wave us to go in, and then when they look at our faces in the car, decide to speed up and get ahead of us just because they don't want somebody like us to be in front of them, in traffic. So that is a part of our day and our travels that white people, other or groups don't have to think about. So when we talk about I can't breathe, it's that literal daily all day anxiety that we have to face. And when we get to work, where others can get to work and breathe because they've made it through traffic and now they're at work, they're not dealing with family. I've heard of people saying work is kind of their resting place because they don't have all, they can just concentrate on their job. We don't have that because now when we get to work, we have to stress and strain and choose our words and, and try to prove ourselves to be, we have to work two, three, five times harder just to be treated like we're Half is good is being treated well. Just to be treated
0: half is good as good is a good thing. So what do you see as, um, you know, especially with your background in mental health, domestic violence, like a, a broad look at these issues, what do you see as, as some solutions?
1: Some solutions, as an educator, my, one of my solutions is always education and knowledge right because there's also a misunderstanding in some communities what racism otherism and and gender and sexism and all of that what it really looks like um there's the thought that if i'm not killing black people then i'm not racist if i'm not spewing homophobic kind uh um you know slurs then i'm not racist it's it's kind of a miseducation right now that if you're not doing the extreme then you're the perfect person. You're a good person. You know, I had a situation, and as an example of trying to work through that, is I have a situation where I'm helping a particular nonprofit right now and putting out a message concerning their feelings about the current racial climate. And they literally took my ideas, created an all white, mostly male panel and to discuss the issue and excluding the black people that work for the organization and the black people on their board. So these are good people trying to do something good and don't realize that they actually did something very racially motivated and some can consider racist because they excluded the very people that they were trying to claim to advocate. So we, one thing is, Educate people on what racism, otherism, sexism, etc., really looks like, and what actions, um, intentional and unintentional, um, are could, are fall within that category. The second thing is advocating and voting. There, are, I see many people of many different races right now who are so fed up that they're like, "I'm not going to vote." And the thing is, not voting silence is, not, is cons- not only consent, it's permission in this case. We've taken that description away from what we used to call sexual assault, like from the sexual, um, the sexual discussion because we used to say, oh, silence is consent. And we now know and we educate people that that's not true when it comes to sexual um, um, connection. But in this instance, silence is consent. Silence is permission. So we need to vote. We need to make sure we advocate when various bills come up to make sure our voices are heard, make sure that we are at town halls, make sure that we are educating our friends and family members that might do or say something that's inappropriate. I, you know, unfriended somebody on social media because they said something that was very sexist about women. And they were trying to be pro-Black and pro um, the Black Lives Matter movement. And they were very strong in other ways in what they said. But once it had to go toward a particular woman, the conversation devolved from academic and wise and intelligent conversation to calling her names like slut and prostitute and everything else. And I said, how can we have this, uh, a good conversation about change if we we are saying we're anti-racist, but then we devolve into sexist conversations and slurs. So really educating and being able to stand up to family and friends and colleagues and being willing to tell them you're wrong for what you're doing and why. Another thing is work with one another. Um, I see a lot of lack of unity where a lot of organizations and people want to fight this on their own. And until we have unity as advocates and activists, the problem will not be solved. We really have to partner as organizations and show a collective effort to end racism and end violence in America. And that, I mean, we can go by, we saw that when it came to apartheid in South Africa. That was how the ultimate fight against apartheid was won, was about collective unity. And so that's what we need right now. And I'm just gonna put an asterisk in this, Black on black crime is not a thing. So we need to stop saying that oh if the black community is killing themselves then the white then how can we fight against the police brutality and other things black on black crime does not exist because crime is intra-racial people of their same race are more likely to kill people or harm people within their race not only that crime is mostly an affinity type of situation you kill or harm people who are family members, friends, or otherwise acquaintances. And those people are likely, in most cases, within your same race. So the narrative that black-on-black crime is being used to distract us from the overall racial element, that's another piece that we're gonna have to detach ourselves from. Because I use this example, if someone, God forbid, in your family kills another family member, that's horrible and you want justice. What it does not do is give permission for your neighbor to then come in your house and kill your family member. That is what we are. That's the same argument that we're using when we try to distract when we talk about how Black people treat Black people and how Latinos treat our Latinos, and then how that evolves into the overall workplace bullying or racial discussion. Well, I heard a person of her same color call her that, so it's okay for me to do it. No, it was wrong for them to do it, and it's wrong for you. Too. So those are some of the immediate things, but honestly, the list is so wrong. As for what we need to do to make a change at this point and i'm not even sure if change is the right word because change is keeping the same frame and changing the skin right when you change your clothes you're still the same person you just looked at this point i think we need a complete rebuilding we need to shore up the foundation of our country of our workplaces so that we can build properly, because we've done enough changing of the guards at this point, and it's infiltrating every part of our society.
0: Yeah, with, the with, I'm just thinking about like bias, and yeah, there, there's just such a rooted, um, rooted component to <laughs> it's so it's like you said it's so deeply entrenched in everything is there any any other um anything else you want to share with people about this whole issue before we um i just want to share that it doesn't help
1: just like it doesn't help to be anti-black it doesn't help to be anti-white it doesn't help to be anti-police it doesn't help to be anti-male um What we need right now is no, it's anti-racism, anti-discrimination, anti-bullying. We need those, you know, anti-stigma. We need to be anti the terms and the practices, not anti the people, because that would make us no different than the people who group us together and are anti-against us. So that is also what I want to encourage for the sake of unity,
0: that we fight the cause, not the Thank you for listening to Screw the Hierarchy. If you feel like you need more help, I have a free guide to recovery steps at dignitytogether.org targets and a sign up for daily boosts through your inbox at the same place. All of the content in this podcast was created and edited by yours truly, Deb Falzoy, and the music you heard is from Kevin McLeod. All right, have a wonderful rest of your week, and I will see you on the next episode. Bye.